0: Well, Greetings again, brethren, and welcome to another uh, Bible study here during the Feast of Tabernacles. Can you believe it's day six? Uh, Day six during the feast is always a special day for me personally, because it was on day six, uh, 31 years ago, uh, that I met my lovely wife during the Feast of Tabernacles. So the, the feast goes by very, very quickly, as I said yesterday, that even during the millennium, the thousand years, when it's over, it'll feel like it was a day. Uh, So time does march on, and the return of Jesus Christ is coming. It may seem far away, but before you know it, it'll be here. Just as before you know it, the feast will be over, so we have to redeem the time during this feast, making the most of it, and redeem the time during our lifetime, making the most of it, before our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll get into Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Heavenly Father, we pause, as we always do, uh, to ask for your blessing, Lord, on our study, on our understanding, uh, that you would open the eyes of our enlightenment as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians, uh, and by extension for all those faithful in Christ. And so this is our prayer, Father, that you'll bless us with a deeper understanding, uh, a deeper conviction, and, and, and greater productivity in your way, Father. We thank you, we praise you, we bless your holy name, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're up to ephesians chapter 4 brethren and let me uh, jump into the text and uh, ephesians 4 let me just set up my scripture and hopefully the text is big enough i think that's good i just want to um, just pick up ephesians 2 and verse 12 and, and one verse in chapter 3 before we get into chapter 4 and he says here um, that at that time But at that time, you were without Christ. So remember that uh, this, this mystery is that God, from the beginning, had predetermined that he would work through a group of people, through an ethnic group of people. But at the same time, because of their stubbornness, he would uh, basically blind them, or part of them, and open the door to the Gentiles and graft the Gentiles in. And, and even the ancient prophets didn't understand this. The demonic world had no idea. And so they, the demonic, the principalities and powers, worked to crucify Christ, not realizing that they were actually advancing this plan of God, which was laid before the foundation of the world. God's counsel stands. And so at that time, these Ephesian Christians were without Christ, and they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, who sometimes were far off, have been made near by the blood of Christ. And then in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, You know, for this cause, I, Paul, and he really, not just I, just I, Paul really emphasizing them, focusing that this, this, it's him that's speaking, the apostle to the Gentiles, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. So there's something he's about to say. There's something he wants to, to, to proceed with, but he cuts himself off. And then in verse uh, 14, I believe it was, he sort of resumes the prayer. But here in, in chapter 4 in verse 1, we see the parallel language that this notion, this concept of him being a prisoner, not of Rome, it's not that he did something immoral or illegal. Basically, he's being accused of, of hate speech, as, as we fully expect we will be. Uh, he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, that everything that he has been doing has been to open the gospel to the Gentiles, and now he is imprisoned uh, by that or for that. But that's okay, because he understands it's not flesh and blood. He's battling with principalities and powers. And all of this is for the furtherance of the gospel. But now in chapter four and verse one, he continues this parallel language. I therefore, because of all of this, this, this extraordinary mystery, this, this, this extraordinary power that God is, is, is making available to his church, both Jew and Gentile, in combining Jew and Gentile together in one to show to the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. Because of all of this, he is begging the church to walk worthy of this vocation wherewith you are called. So so we are actually called to work. We don't work to gain salvation. Salvation is a free gift. But having this free gift bestowed upon us, we are expected to work. There's a vocation associated with this calling. And so he's begging the church, don't get distracted. Walk worthy of this vocation. And this is not the first or the only congregation he says this to. He says it to the Colossians, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what's expected of the church. We shouldn't be increasing in carnal pleasures. We shouldn't be increasing in social justice, egotistical, uh, ethnocentric pursuits we should be all about being fruitful in the work of God and increasing in the knowledge of God this is where our mind is this is where we spend our time stu- this is what we spend our time studying the knowledge of God to the Thessalonians he says that you would walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory so you know you get the sense as he's talking to these different congregations including Ephesus that there is they're at high risk of not walking worthy of this calling. And it would be pure arrogance for us to assume that we are not at risk, that us getting caught up in anything else other than the word of God does not put us at risk of not walking worthy of this calling. This would be arrogance. I think with a humble heart, we would say, Lord, is it me? Am I not walking worthy of this calling? That's the warning that he has to the Ephesians. He says, to do this with all lowliness, with complete Ephesians, be humble and walk worthy of this vocation with humility and meekness. Not weakness, meekness. Meekness is not weakness. But walk with humility and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. So a couple of things here. One is, obviously, let me say that again. Obviously, there's no such thing as the lone Christian. Oh, it's just me and the Lord, just me and God. I'm so righteous. I don't need other, I don't need brethren, just me and the Lord, no such thing. That the Christian walk is a congregational walk. When when Jesus Christ gave the revelation to John, and said, give this to my body. John didn't say, "Okay, to this congregation, to this congregation, and oh, yes, there's some lone individual Christians out there. I've got to get the revelation to them, because Jesus sent me to those lone, very important individual Christians. Not at all. If you were not in a congregation when this revelation was revealed to John, you had no access to this revelation. You had no idea everything that Christ wanted his church to know, because he only gave it to John to give to congregations. And very clearly here, and, and not organizations. I didn't say organization. I said congregations. And very clearly here, it's obvious that this walking worthy of this vocation and, and, and wrestling with principalities and powers has everything to do with being in a congregational setting. So and we have to do this now, we have to function with our brethren with all lowliness and meekness. And especially now in this particular context of the Ephesians as Gentiles being grafted in to this covenant with Judah. That, that obviously What we see actually as we study the early church is the opposite happened. In Acts 15, we see Judah coming together to say, How do we, what's going on here? Or do we, how, do we, how do we cope with Gentiles coming into this covenant? And then by the fourth century, we have these ecumenical councils where there isn't a Jew in sight. Jesus Christ himself would not be welcome. Paul himself would not be welcome in these ecumenical councils as they make these pronouncements of how to curse the Jews. So they were not walking with all lowliness, But Paul says to the Romans in terms of this humility that the Gentiles must have, boast not against the branches. That the branches being the natural born Jews and Israelites don't boast against them you're grafted in but if you boast you bear not the root the root bears you so there's a humility that we have to have in this grand exceptional calling period but speaking specifically to the Ephesian Christians saying look you're now part of this Commonwealth but We participate in this with overwhelming gratitude and a deep sense of humility. And, and, And this replacement theology, which comes to us courtesy of the Greek philosophers and the Catholic Church, and then the Protestants protested against the Catholic Church, but they never came from the root. And we have to be careful because it's so prevalent that even in the Church of God, we completely dismiss Judah and we, we have this theology that there's no place for Judah. In our theology, in our eschatology, there's no place for Judah. This is arrogance. We, we have to be like the Ephesians who, who recognize we've been grafted in to this commonwealth. This covenant belongs to Judah. We've been grafted in and let us now operate with all humility and not boast against the branches. Now he says, again, this concept of Christianity occurs within a congregational setting. He says, endeavoring, striving to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then I mentioned earlier, I've just come from Ottawa sharing the feast there. And just this spirit of harmony, this this spirit of peacefulness, this this relaxed connectedness that, that I experienced with the brethren there. Because they were endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. And I told them, this is miraculous. This requires spiritual maturity over time to achieve this level of harmony and unity. And everybody is just relaxed together. Everybody is valuing that everybody has different gifts and we're gonna talk about that a little bit later in this chapter. Everyone has different gifts and we recognize the value of each member. This is what's required, this is the understanding the enlightenment that's required as part of this path. And if we're on our own, if we're operating in isolation, we're not coming into this enlightenment. We're not coming to understand how to be a member of a body. And therefore, when Christ returns, we don't know how to do that. And that is a critical part of our future with Christ, is to understand how to operate as a member in a body. He says, endeavoring. In another place he says, you know, uh, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. In, In some cases it's just not possible. But that's our striving, that's our effort, that's our focus, that's our objective, is to endeavor, not to create unity. We're not trying to create unity. The unity of the Spirit exists. If I have the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit, there's a unity between us that just exists. I may have never met you, I meet you for the first time, and there's a unity of the spirit that exists. Our job now, as we get to, to know each other, is to keep, to guard, to protect that unity that already exists in the spirit. It's not carnal unity. It's not unity because we have the same skin color, we have the same eye color, we have the same hairstyle. This is not where the unity comes from. The unity comes from this miraculous power that is working within our minds, transforming our minds, conforming our minds to Jesus Christ. That unity is just there. Now what we have to do is recognize it and protect it, meaning we're wrestling against flesh and, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The principalities and powers are going to be constantly attacking this unity. We are going to be guarding, keeping, and protecting it, and in so doing, between Jew and Gentile, between Gentile and Gentile, male and female, tall and short, black and white, everything. We're maintaining the protecting this unity against the principalities and powers. And in so doing, we are demonstrating to them the manifold wisdom of God. That's the intention. That's what we should be doing. Not falling prey to these principalities and powers and not falling into false unity. This has to be unity and truth. And we'll see this as we, come, as we continue in the chapter. He goes on to say, oh, and in the bond of peace. So we're bound in peace. There is this binding together, the same way that he's a prisoner and he's bound, and, and, and no doubt he was physically bound. And so he's looking at his, his, his bonds. And then he's saying to the Ephesians, we have to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is a bond of peace that, that we have to acknowledge and work within there is one body and one spirit so this one body should really strike the ephesians because they've come out of this darkness and been grafted in to this covenant of judah or covenant with judah and and they're told hey you're not gentile anymore it's not jew and gentile we're one body and there's one spirit that is enabling all of this one body one spirit even as you are called in one hope of your calling there isn't a hope of this calling for the jew and then a a lesser hope for the gentile there's one hope now in this calling and this is where he said earlier in ephesians 1 as he was praying that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened that that we as gentile christians grafted in would have our eyes opened to see what Judah themselves have been blinded to see, that we would have our eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the end result of all of this? What is it that we're picturing here during the millennium, the last great day, and on into eternity? What is this hope? Well, there's one hope of his calling with this first fruits harvest and the purpose of this first fruits harvest, Jew and Gentile. It's, it's not a different hope for the Jew harvest and a different hope for the Gentile harvest. They're now, we're now one. And there's one hope for this first fruits and a purpose for this first fruits in this process of ingathering and bringing everything ultimately into one under Christ. One Lord. And, and so the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and we covered that one, we covered chapter one. There is also only one Lord. There's one Lord, and we see in verse six, one Lord, one God. One Lord, one faith. This is where the unity comes from. It's not a fake unity. It's not just, oh, come on, let's all hugs, everybody hugs. Group hug. Come on, everybody, group hug. And meanwhile, there's all kinds of bizarre doctrines being taught within the congregation or within the congregations. And we don't care. Bizarre doctrines, infiltration of the principalities and powers, because that's how they work. They work through deception. The prince of the power of the air is the master of deception. When he's chained, what ends is the deception of the nations. And a 1,000 years later, when he's released, what is re-engaged, what is is re-initiated, deception of the nations. Deception is his mastery. Deception is his art and craft and science. And so we can't be, oh yeah, deception is creeping in. Group hugs, group hugs. It's all good. No, 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 no. We cannot have unity with deception. We cannot have unity with false doctrine. And so there's a purpose here as we, we, we keep the, the, the unity. We, we're endeavoring to protect the unity. That means keeping out false doctrine in order to keep the unity of the spirit, not carnal unity. This, this is not a social club. Hey, everybody, let's get together and have tea and coffee. Lovely to see you again. This is great social time. And oh, don't cause any trouble because we just want to keep the unity of the social club. That's not at all what this is saying. There is one body and one spirit, and we, within with with this spiritual, our eyes of enlightenment under, of understanding being opened, we are now striving to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and keeping this deception out, which would be very divisive, to allow this, this satanic deception in. So there's one faith, there's one baptism, we are baptized into the body of Christ. That's it. Whatever the Jews maybe continue doing with all these different types of baptisms, and certainly uh, the Babylonian mystery religions, they have their concepts as well. No. Only one baptism into the Lord. One God and Father of all. So there's a differentiation now between the Lord and the Father. That there's one God, and one Lord Jesus Christ. And God is over Jesus Christ. And there's no room for Trinity here, co-equal, the Trinitarian formula that makes absolutely no sense. It's nonsense, nobody can explain it because it's nonsensical and it's unbiblical. What is biblical is that there's one Lord and one God and Father of all, who is above all, including Jesus Christ. God the Father is above Jesus Christ. And through all, and in you all via his holy spirit this this incredible power that he used to raise christ from the dead and is now available and accessible to us as we wrestle with the principalities and powers we have access to this power which is far above any principality and power because it's in us and it's from god but unto every one of us is given grace So this uh, grace is uh, charis, the Greek uh, charis, and it's given to us. He says, there's one, 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 but unto each one of us, every one of us, individually, is given grace. You have been given, and and, uh, as we look later, the gift, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, that if you have the Holy Spirit, you have at least one gift of God. And this word grace that he's just so emphasizing, grace and peace, peace and grace. The Greek charis, the Hebrew shalom. Both of these is he's really hoping we understand what has been given to us. But this grace that he has just been really focused on through the letter, now we're understanding it's given to every one of us. And we'll understand this a little bit more according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So later when we look at the gifts, the Greek word for gifts is charisma. The Greek word for grace is charis. So charisma, the root word for charisma, the gifts, is charis, the grace, which it's given to every one of us according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So every one of us, if we have the Holy Spirit, we have at least one gift. The gift that you have will differ from the gift that I have So even though there is one spirit, there are different gifts. That when, as we operate within a congregational setting, not off by myself, but within a congregational setting, I come to value you. Because I realize that what I need, I don't have. What I need, you have. And what you need, I have. And so we forbear one another. And we have great humility with one another and great peace with one another as we acknowledge the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in one another. And, but, but it's not just that you have a gift and I have a different gift. You and I may have the same gift, but now there's a difference in measure. God may give you a greater measure of the same gift he has given me. I don't know why. I don't know why. But he is giving these gifts in different people, different gifts, but also different measures. And, and part of it has to do with people who are not even with us yet, that there's a balance in, in the congregation, and maybe there's even a lack in the congregation. And one year, two years, three years, five years later, somebody comes into the congregation with certain natural abilities. God then, and they repent and they're baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit, God then infuses and supplements those natural abilities with this grace in a a different measure, in a greater measure or a lesser measure. And then that complements or completes the gifting of the congregation. So we just have to have this humility. And it's amazing how these principalities and powers inject within us the spirit of competition. Instead of the spirit of, of, of complementarity, the spirit of competition and conflict, which is the root of Marxism and the influence of Marxism around the world today. Conflict, competition, covetousness. Instead of the spirit of Christ, which is gratitude, humility, and complementarity. Human minds working together in a complementary way, recognizing what they have. It's not, I'm so humble, I have nothing. Oh, I, I'm just no good. I'm just so, I'm so humble, I'm just useless. That's not humility. Humility is what Paul said. I'm the least of all saints, and yet this gift has been given to me. And, and in another place to the Corinthians, he says, I uphold my office of apostle. But he's not promoting himself. He's promoting the Holy Spirit and the plan and the design of God. And we must recognize that all of these gifts, if you have been given the same gift as me, but you've been given it to a greater measure than me. Rather than compete with you, what I have to say is, huh, this gift that you have is not for you, it's for me. The fact that you have it in greater measure than I do, maybe you're my mentor. Maybe I need to come to you who have the same gift as me, but have it in greater measure and you can mentor me. So let's get away from this uh, demonic competitive conflict theory and let's get into the complementarity of Christ and we'll see that as we study chapter 5 God willing tomorrow so every one of us every single one of us has, has value that have, the, that have the Holy Spirit there's one spirit but there's different gifts and different measures of these gifts and that's why we have to endeavor to keep this unity therefore he says when he ascended up on high he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. These are now different gifts. And and, and Pastor Murray talked about this again when he ordained or led the ordination service of our brother Jim, that these are different gifts. And I'll talk about that in a a little bit, but I wanna focus right now on leading captivity captive. Jesus Christ is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ is a warrior for Judah and for Israel. And when he ascended up on high, he crushed captivity. Remember, this is a a battle with the principalities and powers. And when Christ was crucified, when the principalities and powers orchestrated his crucifixion, that was his victory. And when he came up from the dead, he crushed all of their designs, all of their plans, all of their desire to lead Israel captive and to destroy Israel. All of that was crushed at the resurrection. So upon his resurrection, he led captivity captive. As he ascended to the throne of God to receive the scroll and to release the seven seals, he was leading captivity. Captivity itself was being led captive. And Paul here is quoting from Psalm 68, which we studied in, in the archive, so that's available in the archive where we go into it in more detail. But just suffice it to mention, he's quoting Psalm 68 where it says you ascended on high and you have led captivity captive and you have received gifts for men so here he's receiving gifts yeah even for the rebellious also that the lord god might dwell among them and we're here talking about tabern- god tabernacling with man and this is what makes it possible he was resurrected he received gifts for men and then he gave gifts to the men so when we put these two together he, re- he goes to, to god and in that process of, of victory, he conquers all principalities and powers. And he is high above all principalities and powers. And their designs of captivity have now been led captive. And then, he received, having conquered them, he receives these gifts to give to men. And these gifts are very important for us. Now, this captivity, being led captive, is what Moses uh, prepared us to understand in the Torah that when they repent, and in Deuteronomy 30, uh, read, read verses uh, one to eight, and you'll get the whole story, and all the prophets are just repeating this story, that when Israel finally repents, after being cursed by the, the, the covenant clauses that they activated, that then when they finally, deeply, truly repent with a circumcised heart, that then the Lord, their God, will reverse their captivity and their captivity will be led captive. And that's what Christ has prepared the way for. What the church represents is the first fruits of this ending of the captivity. That what we are experiencing now as a church activated by the Holy Spirit, when Christ finally acts on behalf, shows himself strong on behalf of Judah and Israel, and pours out his Holy Spirit upon them, that all of the captivity will be released. And then all the prophets are saying the same thing that Moses said, but here we read it in Joel, Joel 2, verse 28, which is what um, the apostles thought was happening, or was happening in a foretaste in Acts 2. But it's going to happen in full measure to the point where they will no more say, Jeremiah says, they'll no more say, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. They will all know God. But here in Joel 2, in verse 28, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that i will pour out my spirit upon all flesh that is all jewish flesh all israelite flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will i pour out my spirit and, and the captivity of judah and the captivity of israel will be fully released And because he's pouring out his spirit upon them just as we're experiencing now in the church there will be diversities of gifts and this nation will be the head nation physical nation on the earth with the holy spirit to lead the the rest of the humanity to this new way of being human and they will go from all corners of the earth to say come let us go to zion so that we can learn of his ways and we who are the first fruits israel we will be in the family of god overseeing This whole operation and helping them to go through what we're going through now helping israel and judah to go through what we're going through now back to ephesians 4 and now he has a parenthetical thought in verses 9 and 10. now he that ascended that is jesus christ he ascended from earth he that ascended what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth in other words if we're saying that he ascended It means that first he descended. And we know from Philippians 2 that he didn't count it robbery to be equal with God. But in all humility, he left the Godhead and came to earth to represent Israel, to live fully by the code of Deuteronomy, by the Torah. And then in doing that, he was then plunged into the earth for three days and three nights. And he grappled with all the principalities and powers between earth and heaven. And he conquered them all. And then he ascended back to heaven. So he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And there's that theme that was introduced in in chapter 1, that the power that God used to raise him from the dead and to lift him high above all principalities and powers. We're seeing it here. But the insight that we're gathering, in addition to the fact that he's been raised high above all principalities and powers, is the fact that in so doing, he conquered all the principalities and powers. He led captivity captive. So as he went to the Father's throne, and nobody was worthy to receive the judgments of God contained in the scroll, sealed with seven seals. And John wept bitterly because nobody was worthy to release the scroll, uh, the seals and the scroll, unfold the scroll, and in so doing, destroy the captivity of the devil. No one was worthy, in heaven or on earth. But Christ was on the way. Christ was on the way. He was between heaven and earth, on on his ascent. And then he came before the throne, and he was worthy. And God gave him the scroll with the seven seals. And in so doing, he led all the captivity of of Satan and the principalities and powers. He led it all captive to destroy it as he releases the seven seals. So he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens. And that power that did that, that power is working in you. And it's in me, if we have the Holy Spirit, that he might fill all things. Now we come to these gifts. And again, Pastor Murray talked about this and he gave these are gifts brethren and it's inexplicable how brethren fight against this structure that God has given they do everything to neutralize it to destroy it to not recognize it to not honor it because of the principalities and powers that hate it it is this structure that releases the power of God to destroy the principalities and powers. And yet brethren hate it. it because of our human nature. We can't stand the thought that, that somebody would be over us, even though in Hebrews 13, Paul says, or the, we believe it's the apostle Paul, three times to, to recognize those over you in the Lord. But we hate this concept. You know, again, this, this Jezebel spirit that's in the end time, which is a spirit of usurpation, that wants all the authority herself and doesn't want to recognize. uh, So she sidles up to King Ahab in order to take advantage of his position and usurp his authority. And this is the spirit of usurpation that we see, not just in the world, but it's affecting the church as well. This is a gift of Jesus Christ. When he ascended to heaven, his first order of priority was to empower the church. That here we are, his body on the earth, he's in heaven but we are an extension of christ on the earth and all the power that he has we have available to us he says that he's with us to the end and he gives us all authority and all power but we have to respect his structure how he works we can't create a new way of working that would be a deception of the devil so he gave some apostles and some pro- and we have false apostles and we have false prophets and we have false evangel- we have false teachers but we also have true we also have men who are gifted by the holy spirit to fulfill these roles paul himself being one of the chief apostles to the gentiles he gave god gave this this is his gift to us he gave gifts to men what are these gifts well it starts with the fact that he gave apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And the pastors and teachers, to me, I, I think it's sort of a lesser gift, but they're together. Pastors and teachers seem to be a unit. Uh, and, and, but there are evangelists, people who are skilled and talented and gifted to speak to the, the unchurched, to, to pro- proclaim the gospel to the, to the Gentile world. And then there are others who, once people come into the church, have been gifted to teach the brethren, to help mature the brethren. Why? These gifts, these men that God gave through the operation of his Holy Spirit, the power, this exceeding great power that operates within us, these men that he's given are given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So if we're fighting against this, we're committing suicide. This this is spiritual suicide. Instead, we have to recognize those who labor in the word, who have this giftedness. It's not them who are creating their own giftedness. It's coming from Christ. It's his gift. But the purpose of these gifts in verse 11 is to generate the gifts, to amplify the gifts, to magnify the gifts in the Brethren. It's sort of a two-step process, and it's really interesting. You know, I was in the night thinking about this, and I thought, this is such a critical verse. I I wonder if it's in the middle of the letter. The letter has 155 verses. One half of 55 is 77.5. Verse 11 is verse 77, and verse 12 is verse 78. This is smack dab in the middle of the letter. I think that's by design, that we would understand this is so critical, this is the pivotal point of releasing the power of the church, that we would recognize the men who are truly gifted in these roles because these men release the gifts in the brethren so that the brethren can be empowered. And I think dysfunctional, if you look into a dysfunctional church, they want to set up men as authorities and then they want to control the church when, when actually it's the, the, the purpose is the exact opposite is these men are set in place to empower the brethren that the, the brethren become more empowered as a result of their service so the saints are being perfected and as the saints are being perfected they're becoming more powerful to do the work of ministry and to edify each other. So so when this is working in a functional, healthy way, these men are helping the brethren to recognize and utilize their gifts. And as the brethren recognize and utilize their gifts, they're edifying each other. And the body is getting stronger and stronger and stronger and more powerful to put down the principalities and powers and to do the work of ministry central to how God is working with the church. And again, red flag, red flag, if the, the brethren, if, if you're out there and you're thinking it's just me and God, oh, it's just me and the Lord. And, and through the years, I hear so much of this. Clearly, this walk, this vocation that we've been called into is a congregational vocation. Yes, we will be judged individually, but God evaluates the church's congregationally. And we have a responsibility to edify the body in the place where we've been placed. Now, in verse twelve, uh, verse, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 4, there's one spirit, but we have to understand that there are diversities of gifts, but it's the same spirit. I, I cannot be what you are, and I can't expect you to be what I am. There is one spirit but there are different gifts. And I need what God has given you and you need what God has given me. And together we edify the body so the body comes stronger to wrestle against the principalities and powers. Now, how did Paul see these men that have been gifted by Christ to operate as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? How did he see them operating, especially in Ephesus, as he's writing to the Ephesians about this truth? Well, let's go to Timothy, the pastoral epistle, between the the communication between Paul and Timothy about Ephesus. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And I won't exegete all of this, we'll just read it. As I besought you to abide still at Ephesus. So we're reading the epistle to the Ephesians. We're reading about the the central role of ministers in the congregation. And now we're learning firsthand from Paul's communication to Timothy, the role of these elders within the Ephesian city. Now, when Paul was leaving Ephesus, he was worried. And he gathered all the Ephesian elders together and he warned them. And he basically said, I am deeply worried about you men, what you will tolerate, what you will allow in, and what some of you yourselves will become. I'm deeply worried. He wasn't worried about Timothy though. So we can look to Timothy's ministry as a healthy sign of, of how ministry should function within a congregation and the role of ministry in endeavoring to keep the unity of the, of the spirit. As I bes- begged you, I begged you, there was a reason I begged you. I'm leaving Ephesus, but I'm begging you to stay still, abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Stand against them, Timothy. Don't allow the infiltration of any other doctrine from these principalities and powers. This is the wrestling. We we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers. And I can't trust anybody right now, Timothy, except for you. You stay in, in Ephesus and you wrestle against these principalities and powers. And in so doing, charge the flesh and blood not to teach any other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Don't tolerate this. Stand against it, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, not the unity of the social club, the unity of the spirit, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. So, so the whole focus of the teaching is to equip the saints to edify the saints. But there are going to be men now that are allowing in teachings and doctrines that lead to endless genealogies and create more questions. And, and, and it doesn't lead to godly edifying, which is what the body should be doing. Now, the end of the commandment is agape, out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unveined, from which from the, the, the end result is this agape, but from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, and christ warns us that before he returns in fact he asked the question when i return will i find faith on the earth because he warns us that brother will betray brother that there will be many false teachers which means that paul doesn't have enough timothys in the congregations to contend and withstand false teaching from which some having swerved they've, they've turned aside from agape unto vain jangling just just crazy talk vain empty talk it means there's talk it's just the talk is empty it's just empty they're sermonizing there's teaching it's just that it's empty desiring to be teachers of the law so they want the office desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm they, they don't know what they're talking about but they're talking but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. So there's a teaching that the lawless and the disobedient, it's gonna contradict what they want. It's going to contradict their lifestyle, but it has to be taught in order to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. But the lawless and the disobedient For the ungodly and for sinners for unholy and profane for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers for manslayers and as we head into the future brethren we're going to see more and more of this as the principalities and powers turn up the heat but as we turn up the preaching and the ministry through the edification of the body more and more are going to repent and come out of these lifestyles and then we have to teach them in order to convert them and have them conform to christ for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. Again, these people are gonna be repenting. For men stealers, they're gonna be kidnappers. They're gonna be kidnappers. But Christ is leading captivity, has led captivity captive, and he's going to release the seals and destroy all of this. For liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust and committed to our trust. So brethren, honor your ministers. Honor your elders. They're not elders to lord it over you. They're elders to empower you. This is how the Holy Spirit works. Don't get swept up in the Jezebel spirit of usurpation. We'll talk about that more uh, when we cover chapter five. But this is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. You have a work of ministry to do but you have to be empowered to do it. And this power that he spoke of in chapter one, which is far exceeding great power, it comes to us through teaching. The mind has to be opened in order to receive this power. The mind has to be opened in order to interact with the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Ephesians burned all those books because their minds had to be opened to the demonic world. So the spirit world, whether it's demonic, or righteous requires teaching. It requires the mind to engage in a certain kind of knowledge in order to open it up, to interact with the spiritual dimension. So the Ephesians repented of having all these books about the demonic world and how to interact with familiar spirits. They burned all of that. And instead they took Paul's teaching and they took Timothy's teaching and the other righteous elders. And they took that teaching and in so doing they were able to interact with God, with Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And that's the, that's, the, that's the central role of teachers. Until we all come in the unity of the faith. So it's not social club unity. Oh, don't say anything because we, we've got to keep the social club united. That's not at all what Paul is teaching here. He's teaching the unity of the faith. And he begs Timothy, please, Timothy, stay in Ephesus and contend with false doctrine until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, there it is. Knowledge is required in order to interact successfully with the spiritual realm, the righteous spiritual realm, just as knowledge is required in order to interact successfully with the demonic spiritual realm. So, So the ministers of God are there until we all come to the unity of the faith. And this is why he says in another place, I believe it's Hebrews, that Hebrews 13, that let let the uh, elders uh, work with you with joy, because if they have to do it with, with grief, it's not convenient for you. In other words, it'll be disastrous. So until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man, a reflection of Christ, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, each one with different spirits, uh, different gifts, sorry, different gifts in different measures from the same spirit. And then together we reflect the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more. The, te- the teaching ends this. The gifted teachers end this as we wrestle against principalities and powers. That now the church is no more children. We've grown into a maturity. We have been empowered. That, yeah, when, I, when we first came into the church, we knew nothing. And we were babies. And we needed milk. But because of the gifted teaching, we have grown up. And we've become mature. And now we can teach. You know, the, the Hebrew is like, you, 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 have, you need milk. You should be having meat. And you should be teaching others. So you, you cannot come into the body of Christ and be passive if you're passive in the body of christ something is terribly wrong you're to come into the body of christ you're to be fed and nourished and matured so that you can be active in two things one is in the ministry The, the, the the church the body of christ has a ministry grappling against the principalities of powers but also there's an edification to do that ministry the gifted teachers, the gifts that God gives these men, they initiate the process. But then once the process is initiated in you, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, you continue the process. You continue the edification. You, you continue to build up the body. And this is why you cannot be in isolation. And some of you, brethren, physically are truly isolated. But we have the internet. And, and you stay connected. And we have phones. And we have email, and we have ways, we have Slack, we have ways of staying connected and working in community, which is what the Christian walk is all about. No such thing as the independent, isolated Christian, just me and God, it doesn't work. It's nowhere, nowhere to be found in the, in the scripture. That these men that God gives are given to protect our understanding so that the eyes of our enlightenment may be opened that we from, from now on were no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. And, and these men are not our enemies. It's the principalities and powers behind them. This, these men are just flesh and blood. But the cunning, the slight, is coming from the deception of the principalities and power. This is their craft, deception. And so the, this is why, you know. Uh, the, the sons of Skeva are running around saying they're doing exorcism and thinking they're doing something significant and the demons say we don't even know who you are no, nobody has told us about you but Christ has caused us no end of pain and, and, and misery and Paul has come along in his footsteps and caused us no end of pain and misery in this region and we've never even heard of you because Paul was teaching against deception and no doubt they would have known about Timothy now. They say, Jesus we know, Paul we know, Timothy we know, who are you sons of Sceva? And now we want the, 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 the principalities and powers to know the church of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that works within us. And, and as they're coming with every wind of doctrine and slight of men and cunning craftiness and lying in wait to deceive, they're just waiting for the right moments. And, and this, is, this is the battle. Jude says in Jude three, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation it was necessary for me to write unto you I was going to write about the common salvation I had to change my mind and I had to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints so this is contention oh but I thought we have to be united I thought it was a social club and we just want to feel good. hugs everybody group hug hugs no contention against false doctrine so that we can have the unity of the spirit. The unity of the spirit is there. We have to protect it. And we protect it by contending against false doctrine. And again, I'm going to remind you in this end time, Thyatira is a great example for us because this is a spirit that is in the church prior to the Great Tribulation and causes many in the church to be plunged into the Great Tribulation. And it's a spirit of usurpation. Jezebel was a usurper, sidled up to Ahab, usurped his authority to exercise over the church. Notwithstanding, so all the good that Thyatira did, it's notwithstanding. They're heading into the tribulation now. All that good is notwithstanding because Christ has a few things against Thyatira. Because they allow, they're not contending for the faith. They're not endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. They're keeping the unity of the social club. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess. And Christ warns us that there will be many in the end time, false prophets, false teachers, self-declared. We have to see through them and judge them by their fruits. She calls herself a prophetess. And what does she do? What does she, do? she teaches. Oh, she teaches because it's about knowledge. Knowledge is the gateway to access the Holy Spirit. And knowledge is the gateway to access the familiar spirits and again when the Ephesians repented they burned all that knowledge because that knowledge they, 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 they confessed and they repented because all of that knowledge gave them the understanding of how to invoke and how to communicate and how to work with and how to befriend the familiar spirits it required knowledge but they burned that knowledge and instead they embraced the knowledge of God so that they could invoke and embrace the Holy Spirit. And now this Jezebel gets into the church congregation and she begins to teach. And they allow it. They're not contending the way Jude said, contend for the faith that was once delivered. No, they allow this teaching. And the teaching then, bit by bit, slowly by slowly seduces the servants of God to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And later on, it says to commit adultery. So whatever this fornication is, whatever this adultery is, whatever this eating things sacrificed to idols is, it's not immediately apparent. It's not immediately apparent. And through craft of language, through craft of false teaching, the people of God are seduced, while the teachers who need to be, the true teachers who need to be contending with this, as Timothy did are not contending. They're keeping the unity of the social club. And then the false teaching creeps in. And God says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication. And what that should mean to us is, while she's given space to repent of her fornication, it means she's also given space to continue her false teaching. Let that sink in. While she's given space to repent of her fornication, she's also given space to continue her false teaching, but she repented not. That means she kept teaching and seducing. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her. These are the people of God that were doing great things, notwithstanding they allowed Jezebel to shipwreck them. And therefore, they will be committed. They, they, They will end up committing fornication, adultery, eating things, sacrifice to idols, whatever these things are. They've been seduced into committing them and they're then going to be thrown into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Back to Ephesians 4. Instead now, we have to be speaking the truth. We do not tolerate false doctrine. We have to be speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth because we love the brethren. We speak the truth because we want to see all the brethren cross the finish line. We don't want to see God dismiss brethren in the church and say, I never knew you. We're we're fighting against the principalities and powers. We're wrestling against the principalities and powers so that God can say, well done, you good and faithful servant. That's why we do this. So we must speak the truth in love and may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And he introduced this concept in chapter one that this great power that raised Christ from the dead and set him far above all principalities and powers that same Christ is the head of the church his body and so we're growing up into Christ because he's our head he's directing our operations even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together excuse me the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted so again there's no room here for the independent Christian saying it's just me and Christ. No. We're in a congregation. Find a congregation that, that, that is teaching truth, that is recognizing the giftedness of the brethren, and that recognizes that you have a contribution to make, that is not expecting you to just come and sit down and do nothing, and just listen to the preaching, and do nothing, and be passive. No, 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 no. The preaching is in order to make you active to make you a contributing member of the body. But, but God places us in the body as it pleases him. And so the whole body now is fitly, it's ex- there's an expert who is designing the body, who's putting the body together. It, it's, it's, it's joined together by an expert, and then it's not just joined together, it's compacted. It, we, we get closer together. As we go through different trials and experiences together, we become closer by that which every joint supplies we are expected to supply something. And not by ourselves, but by the joint. Every joint, every time you interact, every, every relationship that you have with another member in the body is a joint. And every relationship is expected to supply something as we edify one another, according to the effectual working. We're going back to Ephesians chapter one. This great power that raised Christ from the dead, that is now working in us that we have access to. This is how we're using this power to the effectual working in the measure of every part as we edify one another to strengthen one another to wrestle the principalities and powers to do the work of ministry. And we make increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This, this is amazing. We, we could spend a whole hour on this. Just understanding how the body Increases itself by edifying itself in love. In whom all, so th- sorry, this, just so this um, effectual working and this fitly joined together, it's, re- it's referring back to Ephesians 2. That in whom all the building fitly framed together, so it's a body fitly famed, uh, joined together, but the, another metaphor is it's a building fitly framed together. There's an architect, there's a designer behind the fitting behind the joints, as we work things out in forbearance, in long-suffering, in humility, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord that God can dwell in, in whom you are also built together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So even now the Gentiles are included in this temple where God himself will dwell. And that's, this, that's what we're a part of, that this is an active responsibility that we all have To edify the body to look out for one another to build up one another and to realize that god gives us teachers gifted teachers not for their ego's sake but for our sake to protect us from false doctrine and to bring us into full enlightenment of his word that through this knowledge we can access this tremendous power that he used to raise christ from the dead which now operates in us to edify one another and to do the work of ministry. But this is done over time. It doesn't happen overnight. And we have to be patient and we have to work with one another, but we have to keep out false doctrine. This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Stop it in the vanity of their mind. What a shame that we are allowing these Gentiles in the vanity of their mind to lead us To be our leaders we're reading their books we're following their knowledge we're getting caught up in their emotional states instead of staying focused on this immeasurable gift that god has given us to be part of this first fruits calling having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of god through the ignorance that is in them they think they have knowledge they think they're very knowledgeable Marxism is a very intellectual endeavor and all the professors are are pushing this different flavors of Marxism in very intellectual ways and it feels like knowledge. Paul calls it ignorance because they have no knowledge of this. They are alienated from the life of God, this power that we've been talking about, they've disconnected from it, they've swerved away from this through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart and he's been praying that the eyes of our enlightenment would be opened so that we can do this work of ministry but instead we blind ourselves with our ignorance who being past feeling and it's not that they have no emotions they are very emotional but they have no spiritual sense who being past feeling they have no spiritual conscience and our pastor murray gave a great sermon on this called uh, for conscience sake which is in the archive but they're being past this conscience, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness. This is the spirit of Jezebel. To work all uncleanness with greediness. This is covetousness. This is getting caught up in this material world, and they have what we don't have, and we're very upset that they have this. Why don't we have it, and we've got to a riot about this? We're above all of this. We're not getting caught up in this, because you have not so learned Christ. Notice the emphasis on the learning. Somebody taught you Christ. This is why we need teachers. You have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him. Maybe there was interference. Maybe the elders were not doing their job and you didn't hear. But if the elders were doing their job, you did hear. And you did not learn Christ this way and have been taught by him the teaching. Christ is not on earth. He's in heaven, but his body is on earth. And his body is structured in such a way that The teachers are gifts to the body, as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. We shouldn't be acting the way we acted before we came into the church. Put that off, which is corrupt. That way of behaving is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. When we get into what we want, when we get into our ego, lust of the mind and of the flesh, Satan will deceive us. So whatever you're passionate about, be careful. The same way he deceived Eve, that he said, you know, this fruit, it's good for you. It'll make you wise. It'll, it'll make you, uh, it'll be pleasant to you. It'll taste good to you. And it's all about you, you, you. It's a deception because he was doing all, Satan was presenting all of this for himself, but he's able to deceive her through her lusts. And so we need to be very careful. Are the causes that we're getting caught up in Are they for our own self-interest because it's my race it's my people it's my thing or is it truly for christ and instead be renewed in the spirit of your mind this is what this is what matters these teachings that renew the spirit of our mind that we put on the new man which after god is created in righteousness and true holiness there's a difference with righteousness and true holiness and the deception and the corruption of sin. Therefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we're members one of another. Again, there's no independent Christian here. We're members one of another. And Pastor Murray gave a great sermon yesterday on Psalm 15, very expertly crafted, going through Revelation, Zechariah, the different passages and showing how this question raised in Psalm 15 is a mirror for us. And we need to be able to look in the mirror and be able to stand before God as he presents this to us. So uh, again, if you uh, have access to the archive, look at the sermon for day five during this feast. He says, be you angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Some people are carrying anger, Passover to Passover to Passover. They've been in the church for decades and they're angry about something that happened years and years ago. And the, the, the instruction is don't be be angry but don't sin and don't allow the sun don't if you're don't let the sun go down on your wrath and yet we go from passover to passover neither give place to the devil all of this that he's sharing with us and you know one to three it was very conceptual and now four to six we get very practical a little bit of conceptual teaching around the the importance of teachers but now it gets very very practical because this is how we wrestle with the principalities and powers this is how we make sure we don't give place to the the devil it has to do with how we interact with one another let him that steal let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor do the opposite working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth and it's amazing you know you look on Facebook and you wonder are these church brethren That are speaking like this that are liking things like this let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying we need to be very purposeful we edify the body and we do the work of ministry we edify the body to do the work of ministry so all we're focused on now is how we communicate to edify the body to do the work of ministry that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the holy spirit of god don't do this, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption, unless Christ says, notwithstanding, I have this against you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is how we wrestle against the principalities and powers. It's in our conduct. It's in our holy conduct. And do the opposite. Be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This is how we build and endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. What a wonderful passage, brethren. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is King. Uh, He has nothing but blessings for us, brethren. We have access to this great power if we will resist false teaching. And we will embrace the truth that the Apostle Paul wants us to understand in this great mystery that's been hidden, not only from the, the saints and the prophets, but even from the principalities and powers, and it's been revealed unto us through the Apostle Paul. If, if ancient Israel were to, was to rejoice at the feast because of the physical blessings by the work of their hands, how much more should we rejoice? because of these rich spiritual blessings which come at the work of God's hands. Jesus Christ is Lord. Have a blessed feast, brethren. God bless.